Okay, and welcome to another New Energy Chinwag with myself, John Massey, and Charlie Rattan. Hi, Charlie. Good, uh, good morning. Good morning. Uh, right, today we thought we would talk about a topic which is, is maybe slightly off our, our normal patch, um, but hopefully we can um, show that it, it certainly dials in with the issues that we talk about, and it's certainly very relevant currently here in the UK as well as in other markets, and that topic is fracking. Now... If anyone has been following the the kind of news headlines coming out of the UK, you may, you may have seen headlines earlier in the week talking about um, fracking now going to be banned in the UK. Now, we'll get into whether it is actually going to be banned in the UK, but certainly what's happened is that for the time being, um, there's not going to be any fracking going on. If a bit of background, I guess, and, and Charlie can pitch in. Um, he's he's actually closer geographically to where this is happening. But the, one of the problems that we've had with fracking here, uh, as well as lots of protests, is there were some earthquakes caused by some of the wells that were um, being uh, being drilled up in the north of England, um, and that in particular exceeded the kind of regulatory um, requirements. And basically, the government has said, "Well, we're not going to keep supporting it." Um, which is again is slightly different from saying we're banning it, um, but at the moment I guess it's what you regard as they're talking about a moratorium on it, which doesn't mean it couldn't come back at a later date if they relax the rules around earthquakes and what size earthquakes are allowed. Um, but but certainly for the foreseeable future, um, there's not going to be any fracking going on. Um, Charlie, from our, your understanding of the kind of the situation as to where we are, is that a reasonable summary? Is there anything else you wanted to add to that? Yeah, it's, uh, it's one that we, uh, obviously anybody that's worked in the utility industry comes across uh, quite a lot, lot uh, John, fracking or hydraulic uh, fracturing is, is, is a quite of an intrusive process which does involve uh, techniques which can cause um, tremors and there's been a site towards Blackpool about 40 miles away from, uh, from me which has attracted uh, considerable publicity in the last few years. Uh, there were a few earthquakes a few years ago uh, off offshore, I think, and uh, somehow the fracking continued. It was supported by uh, the current, current government. We in renewables were quite envious of some of the uh, promotion that uh, fracking uh, gained. It was uh, something that was seen as very much an emerging technology. Good reasons for it. It would uh, reduce the reliance on imports of, uh, of gas. It might encourage a local supply chain and an industry, and it might uh, give a local uh, dimension to uh, to gas. So there were good reasons for utilities looking at this. I was with um, SSE and one of their subdivisions is called Scotia Gas and they looked as far back as 2013-2014 on a UK-wide basis and at the time it was something of a silver bullet solution in the States. It had done well, it had formed a new, uh, a new industry which had done very well, reduced uh, reliance on imports. So SSE looked at it came to the conclusion is that wasn't much a resource uh, and we'll pull out of it. So I was slightly surprised that it carried on with smaller companies such as uh, Quadrilla and so forth. A couple of early glitches with these tremors uh, and then more recently, as you imagine, it's become something of a political issue. Um, major projects tend to be controversial, uh, offshore wind, onshore wind, they've all got elements of uh, controversy. Uh, and, of course, that uh, doesn't necessarily play well with uh, the need to get votes uh, for uh, general elections. So um, the timing is, is interesting. Uh, there have been a few further tremors this summer. Uh, they've caused adverse reactions 
uh, and even from um, promoters of fracking, I think have been surprised at some of the uh, some of the nature of cracks appearing on houses, uh, local residents uh, up in arms, uh, compensation payments being placed, uh, made, all of which uh, doesn't all go well uh, in a time of, uh, of, of political change. Yeah, I, mean, I think again, I guess for for our overseas listeners, um, the the timing is obviously. An issue. Um, we've got an election coming. Uh, that's. I think you'd be foolish to suggest that the timing isn't isn't closely related to the fact there's an election coming. Um, and also, in recent months um, and over the last year, really, there's there's definitely been an increase in terms of kind of environmentalism as an issue, climate change as an issue um, in this country, as in as in many countries. So, and it's probably one of the first elections. Um, that certainly that I can remember where climate has been probably one of the fairly central issues as opposed to um, way further down the, the food chain in terms of electoral issues. So so the timing is certainly there. I mean, in terms of, I guess, a bit more background again, um, we're really talking about fracking natural gas here in the States. The fracking has not only led to a big boom in natural gas, but also oil. Um, so... And I think really the success in the US led to a lot of the policy driver here. There, there seemed to be this, to my mind, rather naive assumption that because the states have to um, produce lots of cheap gas, exactly the same would happen here in the UK. And obviously there's a an advantage in producing cheap gas, especially domestic cheap gas, because we're a big gas importer and, and gas is... It's about 40-odd, 42%, I think, of electricity generation is, is from gas at the moment. And for heat, it's it's way more than that. I don't know the exact percentage, but I'm guessing kind of 85% or something of, of heating is probably natural gas. So we're, we're a big gas importer. If we could produce our own domestic source, um, particularly if we could produce it cheaply, that would be great. I think there are some of the big things that, from my mind, were underestimated and which led to the amount of protests are... For example, Lancashire, which is um, your part of the world and where the um, the current kind of controversy has been centred, um, Lancashire is, is not South Dakota um, in terms of population density and space and so on. Uh, one of the things in the states, if you look at um, how many wells needed need to be drilled uh, for fracking as opposed to conventional oil and gas, um, it's a lot. Um, there's a lot of drilling. Um, there's a lot of um, disruption that goes with that drilling and so on. Uh, so if you're in a more populated country, I think it was always a bit naive to imagine that um, you could grow the industry at the same rate without attracting <clears throat> public concern and permitting issues and so on. Um, so yeah, I think the as with all these things, I think there's a lot of hype around the amount that you could potentially be available. There's there were kind of theoretical studies about how big the resource could be, but obviously there's a massive difference between what a resource could be and what it you can actually extract. And I think I'm right in saying that it's you you think it's been going on for several years here, but I, I think it's still only about ten wells have actually been drilled. It may not even be that many. It's a very very small number of wells have actually been. Um, have been drilled so so we still really have very little idea as to what the um, actual potential would be and little idea on ultimately what the costs um, that would come out and so on would be so so yeah lot, lots of hype um, I think as I say the this idea of a of a moratorium or again depending who you vote for the the Conservative Party who are um, 
sort of nominally in government at the moment, what they've announced is, is a moratorium, which, as I say, people would look at the small print and say, well, that means that you could easily change back and support it again in future. I think the uh, most of the other parties, I think all the other parties are actually, their policy is to, to ban it um, permanently. So, so I guess what happens next will partly depend on the outcome of the election. Energy system, though, let's assume it does... It, it it is finished. Um, what what's your view in terms of what it means for the energy system going forwards? Yeah, we've um, I, I'm engaged in a thing called uh, Rio Two, which we've spoken about on previous uh, podcast, John, and that is uh, the fact that, that I think for every unit of electricity produced, there are three of gas, and that's primarily for heating. We've talked about industrial strategies and Scottish energy strategies, where heat is at the very top of the list. So we know that heat needs addressing. Uh, and I suppose that in the in the in the early days of fracking, uh, when uh, it was a bit of a, a certainly in certain quarters, it was seen as a as a, as a rival to uh, some of the other technologies out there. I suppose they know that uh, the the gas infrastructure could be used as it can uh, for hydrogen, which we've discussed, um, and that that uh, the fracking uh, would be something that the certainly on, on on the Conservative Party would would promote the um, the, the the fracking. Promotion has caused a few unintended consequences. As you know, I talk a lot to the supply chain and organisations with names such as the high-value manu- manufacturing uh, catapult. And the one in Lancashire was actually quite pro-fracking. I was quite surprised at their uh, their attitude. I spoke with them, I think, this March. And they said, oh, yes, we expect fracking to happen. We've had a personal guarantee from the minister that they're absolutely committed to, uh, to fracking and we're building our catapult on that basis i was slightly surprised all the major projects i've been involved with have, have, have required a, a realization that that long-term projects need all party support now in scotland fracking had been banned in lancashire it had been opposed in manchester it's been opposed and banned so i knew that that all party support wasn't there therefore it was politically toxic and that comes back to to the timing issue but that doesn't leave the fact that we do need to address renewable heat it has to be addressed is in Rio 2 I suppose if there is to be a moratorium it will at the very least take the momentum away for fracking and perhaps leave an opportunity for other technologies we've mentioned HiNet in the past hydrogen network here in uh, the northwest of England it's not just renewable it's not just green hydrogen it involves carbon capture and storage, it involves chemical processes, uh, but it might be uh, almost by default encouraged if, if fracking was to uh, to drop away. At least fracking will not happen as quickly as some of the perhaps rather fanciful scenarios uh, that, that were doing the rounds three or four years ago. Yeah, no, no I think there's, there's a few key points in there. I, I guess one is if we were going to do a write-up a case study at some point about stakeholder engagement and how not to do it fracking um <laughs> fracking industry might be one and as you say i think um it's you kind of it's always felt it's kind of been pushed through by industry interests rather than as you say trying to build a consensus and build a case for um why it why it's why it's critical um and i think you're right that the issue with whether it's a moratorium or a ban is is sort of 
could end up leading to the, the same place, I guess, um, if it's delayed. Any delay is obviously allowing time for other things to um, scale up and, and step in. Um, as you say, we've talked about about hydrogen, for example, as, as being one potential gas substitution. And then on the power front, there's obviously um, obviously rollout of more, more renewables, potentially adding things like uh, short-term storage battery, long-term storage hydrogen and so on to make them more flexible. I guess from, a, from an energy point of view, the things I would highlight, though, are I, I think one, like people who... Who say right? No fracked gas. I think one of one of the things they'll have to accept in the short term is we'll probably end up importing um, gas, um, particularly from the states. We've st we've just started, I think, um, this year or last, importing from gas from the states, which will be fracked gas. So we're probably not immune from um, fracked gas. Um, but and then in particular, we've got to really, if we're gonna if we're gonna not have our own domestic supply, then Either we're going to have to just accept that we're going to import gas from elsewhere, fracked or otherwise, or we're going to have to accelerate the plans to replace it. Because as we've pointed out in the electricity system, at the moment it's crucial because it's the balancing fuel that we use. And in the in the heating system, it's, it's crucial because it's most of the fuel we use. So, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether having, having delayed banned, stopped, whatever whatever we've done um, to, to natural gas fracking domestically. Um, whether from a policy point of view that's that's also connected to a, an actual acceleration or an increase in investment in, in the alternatives. Yeah, there's, uh, there's quite a lot in there, in, in, in there, John, in that obviously there's a realisation that it's a global energy uh, market and there have been a, a number of trends that have, uh, have reduced the reliance perhaps on uh, on, on the balancing uh, mechanism you've mentioned uh, batteries you've mentioned hydrogen which is gaining uh, quite a bit of interest at the uh, moment uh, also perhaps a, geo a geopolitical dimension I, I, I remember when uh, i think it was mr putin uh, cut off the gas was it to ukraine uh, that spooked a lot of people and thought oh my word we can't be uh, reliant on uh, on sometimes uh, very controversial imports we need a home market how do we get a home market uh, and, and i feel as though uh, i think you hit the nail on the head that the, the wind industry in particular has done lots on uh, on public engagement uh, there's a they, they go out and there's local supply chain events they go out and meet meet the buyers they engage with community benefits they go into schools and they've learned the hard way that controversial projects need soft hands uh, stakeholder management and uh, engaging with populations and when you see um, the Northwest tonight, which I watch in this region, showing people in the homes, pointing at cracks and for talking about cupboards falling over, uh, I think there are eight, 10 million people in, in Lancashire and in the, in the surrounding uh, Northwest area, uh, certainly not South uh, uh, Dakota. So that plays uh, extremely badly. So it, it perhaps is a disconnect between what in, in theory appears like a nice rational case in, by somebody in Bayes or in somebody in some government departments actually to go and carry that message, engage with communities and want them on, on board uh, is, is something of, a, of a, a learning exercise and perhaps will constitute the, uh, uh, the case uh, study. Uh, as I say, I do talk to uh, the, the local chambers of commerce and local business groups and there was some support for fracking. Uh, whether that lobby, and there are lobbies uh, for it, will enable it to, uh, to reconvene and gain uh, some kind of foothold again 
uh, I'm not so sure. Uh, even they're away, aware of the political dimension as uh, as well. Yeah, I mean, they, it's an interesting one because obviously from a, a, the advantages to the local community potentially were obviously jobs, um, jobs, investment, money, all the usual um, things that you hope will arrive if you if you build an industry there. So, so certainly there were some perfectly valid reasons why some there were people in communities who were in favour of of fracking taking place um, because it was going to generate jobs and certainly again you've seen that in in parts of the of the states where people have um, where good money's been made by um, by growing this industry if you if you own a patch of land you own all the all the resource below the patch of land so there's there's a lot of money to be made by then licensing it out to um, oil and gas companies and I think that again that, I think that's one of the differences that people often underestimate when you come here is the idea that um, <clears throat> landowners and, and people people living on the surface are not so compliant necessarily because industry is coming in and just extracting resource from, from under their land and they're not generating the same value out of it. So there's in the States you've got not just the job creation but you've got actually the people who are sitting on the land are making good money out of it as well. Um, in the, here I always got the impression that, and they were talking about license fees and so on to landowners but you always kind of got the impression that they were kind of trying to get away with as little as they could in terms of how they, how much they would pay the people who are sitting on these resources. So so yes there may be yeah. some jobs and so on but it's a bit it, always, it kind of felt that perhaps they could have got further if they'd have actually just been prepared to give away a bit more of their profit. Um, yeah, I think, I, think, uh, I think you've hit, uh, I think you've hit upon a really interesting uh, point uh, there, and that is uh, the wider land value and indeed property value uh, element of uh, this. Certainly we in, uh, in wind onshore certainly came across uh, a big debate as to whether being hosting a wind farm um, devalued local properties. It was always thrown at us on, on, on exhibitions and so forth. And I think the feeling was that, well, disruption is unpleasant for communities, hence community benefit to uh, to address uh, uh, that. But after a time, it settled in and people got used to it and property values rose um, to, 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 to the norm. Uh, there have been a few ding-dongs and a few uh, kind of reports which argue whatever the report authors might want them to argue on what one feels. But certainly, I think uh, you've, you've hit upon uh, the density of the population here in Lancashire, and of course, if people, I would have thought most people, the home is the primary asset. That's what they, they, they certainly don't want to see. But even the threat of a value uh, to that property. And of course, it doesn't take much for people to get scared. And especially if people see on the on the regional news, as has been the case, uh, big cracks appearing in people's homes. And of course, it's difficult to know when those cracks appeared. But certainly if somebody's doing some uh, some, some earthquake uh, tremor testing uh, just down uh, down the road, uh, it's not something that fits very well, and it's something that I think there's a degree of naivety uh, from those uh, <laughs> involved uh, about um, considering the amount of assessments one has to do at uh, scoping and then uh, the, the, the pre-consulting stage and then the ES stage of an onshore wind farm. I did, there was a feeling in the renewables industry that this was almost done, that, that, that the government was blocking onshore wind, while at the same time uh, promoting a much more intrusive uh, technology and um, <laughs> that that rather cynical argument may have some vindication looking uh, independently and dispassionately as perhaps we both do. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting parallel because, of course, onshore wind is, is pretty much stalled in the UK um, in recent years, and um, because of partly because of um, 
the the regulatory regime made it easier for people to object and easier to, to stall these projects. Uh, and interestingly, it's not just the UK and Germany, apparently. I think it was something like, it was only 35 turbines installed in the first half of the year or something. So onshore again, is a stall there. Um, so in that sense, I guess I guess the question is the, the residents that are um, against the having fracking in their neighbourhood probably would they equally be against having wind farms and grid lines in the neighbourhood? Are, are we just getting to a point yeah. where energy infrastructure people just they want they want the plug in the wall and they want to be able to use it, but they they're just not prepared to have <laughs> the infrastructure that delivers it. Um, yeah, yeah. Ne- I think we, NIMBY thing next to their house. We we have, we have touched upon this, haven't we, in the past? And that I don't think you could build a national grid. Uh, today, I mean, a lot of national parks and the waves couldn't route them through either. So you wouldn't get, uh, of course, and when it was built, there was a demand for it and a desire for it. And people want electricity and they want it to be renewables, perhaps less so when they find a 250 metre planning application for a wind farm uh, down uh, the road. The wind farm industry is sensitive to that and it tries to site accordingly. I'm, I'm, I'm less convinced that some of the rationale, I'd have to read the scoping documents and the rationale. Uh, behind uh, this, uh, presumably they got they got the consent, and the consent was under certain planning conditions. As I understand it, they exceeded the uh, the planning conditions, uh, and that is obviously for for, for any project you, you get a stop, mm. and a stop is an expensive uh, thing because you've still got your team, you've still got your kit, you borrowed the money, you're on the hook to the bank, uh, and then you're not going to produce anything. So, um, and that stop order. Um, has obviously been reviewed at ministerial level uh, by the energy department uh, and as uh, obviously it's got, got a wider political resonance and is now encapsulated into into a, a more of a full-scale moratorium now they might revisit that but i find it hard to believe that the uh, <laughs> they would carry on with schemes uh, close to residences which this one uh, clearly is and in such controversial a controversial location they might want to choose the wherever the South Dakota of uh, of the UK, <laughs> perhaps Northumberland or, or Lincoln, but that might knock away some of the other factors that you need. Can you pipe it away? Can you dispatch the products? Does it work with the logistics side? It's not just a case of this is a good fracking location. As we talk about in our courses, there's a whole heap of other drivers to, uh, to profitable projects, and uh, uh, presumably they chose Lancashire because it had quite a large customer base and because it had uh, quite a good infrastructure. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I think um, certainly that there's. I seem to. I remember looking at um, kind of maps that were produced in the very early days when they were looking at fracking resources, and and, and there were big parts of the country where they they thought there may or may not be. Um, and again, that's the difference between they kind of look at the geology and where it's there's potential um, for for frackable natural gas and you end up with a very large map but then obviously until you start drilling holes in it there's a big difference between the resource theoretically being available and being able to extract it economically um there was even at the early days i remember there was quite a lot of controversy about where the early sites were and as to whether they were all in constituency areas that weren't the government's constituency areas so i think one of the problems with fracking probably even more so than um than wind and solar and so on it is there's there's definitely a very political dimension to it all um there's a and i think also i i, I agree i think even if it's 
in theory a moratorium it's going to be quite hard to row back politically from from that and to suddenly relax the rules that um that allow it to um to continue um it's hard to see what new information is suddenly going to emerge that means that they can um they can do it with less less impact so i think it would it would have to be a case of relaxing rules um it's, it's hard to see that happening um it's not yeah, a lot of these, it uh, but it's hard to see it happening. The only route, uh, this would be a quite a cynical one, it's one that I did do when I was lobbying or, or involved with some senior level uh, kind of consultant uh, con, uh, consultation with the previous company, is that uh, I think we took the view that a lot of these rules tend to be uh, European-based and uh, that uh, if you're no longer in, uh, in the EU, uh, then that countries perhaps have got more uh, kind of flexibility on, on, on not just the rules but the interpretation of the rules as well so I just wondered whether if you're to be a little bit cynical if, if the, um, the forthcoming election was to go a certain way and Brexit whatever form it takes was to be achieved then they could uh, lobby on the back of that and, and then play a few cards say look you, 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 you've got a healthy heritage of mining in this area you've a lot of coal in this area, there will be a jobs. There will, a bit like this happened to offshore wind, perhaps not on the scale, but we've seen how offshore wind has gone from a boutique industry to almost like a, a new entrance almost uh, every day with the supply chain uh, engagement sessions and meet the buyers and, and, and it's, it's a big ramp up. And I just wonder whether they might play that card again, but it's a bit hard because it's a bit tainted now. And, and obviously it won't take much for somebody to dig in the archive and find concerned residents talking about cupboards falling over and cracked in houses and quite a well-formed opposition group. I have seen uh, opposition groups uh, ironically using wind turbine blades to block vehicles for fracking. It's not something I've encountered a great deal in my time in onshore wind, certainly not uh, when the local communities were faced with a wind farm uh, down the route. But I think if, if onshore wind was to prevail, it would need a, a bigger local buy-in. I think that is accurate. You would have to show your local benefits and your jobs, and you'd have to do that at a pretty early stage on board, uh, as happens in Scotland. Uh, if it was to be rolled back out uh, in, in, in the UK. So clearly I think that fracking is going to be greatly slowed and it is also tainted. And obviously politicians want votes and they're not going to back something that people are very upset being interviewed on, on local television about. They're going to be very scared of, of endorsing that. Yeah, and also you mentioned geopolitics and you just mentioned Brexit. I mean, again... You can bet your bottom dollar, literally, um, when they're talking about trade deals with the U.S., for example, um, buying natural gas from the U.S. is going to be is going to be a significant chunk of any trade deal, particularly from the U.S. point of view. They're going to see it as an ideal opportunity if we if we aren't producing our own, um, they'll be delighted to sell more of it um, to us from the states and probably insist on it as being part of a part of a trade deal. So yeah, I mean, I, again, I think there's all sorts of as soon as you get you're into a fuel which is has import export implications as well as well as beyond the the local concerns you get into sort of a whole the whole big geopolitics play you get into international trade um there's a whole bunch of other factors that that impact it and so in many ways it'd be very easy for a government in future i would have thought to say well rather than stir up all this kind of domestic strife at home and reintroduce fracking why not um say oh look we've negotiated this fabulous trade deal with the US um, and within that trade trade deal there'll happen to be um, more imports of, of natural gas from the states um, so yeah I think there's, there's a whole bunch of kind of conspiracy theories or cynical 
manoeuvres you could start to dream up around around the future. Um, but yeah, certainly I think I think it's very hard to see it suddenly going from where we are now to being the kind of boom industry that people were, were talking about. Yeah. Then has a, has knock-on impacts for, for everything else in the electricity system and the heat system. Thinking also about the companies that might be engaged, you'd think of your shells and you'd think of your totals and, 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 and so forth, but they seem to have bought pretty much in to the idea now of an energy transition. They've signed up to, uh, to Paris, even though the Americans uh, seem less keen on, on, on that, are pulling out. But... Uh, you look at the uh, the direction of travel uh, from the oil majors and the big companies and the, and the, the supply chain uh, for them, and you get the feeling that it would cause real issues now if they were to be seen to be backing something that wasn't seen as renewable and was seen to be something of, of a fossil-based uh, technology rather than going into other directions. And I'm thinking again of hydrogen. We've discussed in the past how um, and perhaps it merits another uh, podcast because there's been quite a lot of movement in uh, in the field in the last six months of coal. But it, what is evidence is that all the big oil majors are looking at hydrogen in, in, hydrogen in a serious manner, and will be looking at the uh, the grid. The the grid seems to be it might suit fracking, but it might suit um, equally uh, with a few amendments uh, hydrogen. And I just wonder whether the direction of travel from the oil majors and these are massive mega concerns with shareholders and activist shareholders and corporate social responsibility um, policies, uh, uh, whether that has moved, the, the whole direction of travel has moved away from where fracking was six or seven years ago uh, when hydrogen wasn't really discussed and offshore wind was on a lot smaller scale and uh, it was a, a le less politically contentious, as, as you've mentioned. Yeah, it's an, uh, certainly politically, I think it, it, at the moment it's it's an easier path for them, path for them to follow, um, even if fracking was to eventually succeed it's it's not a it's not a quick win as i say I think there's some it's a handful of wells that have actually been drilled even over the last several years so why would they uh, at what point would that actually reach a scale when it's adding huge amounts of their their bottom line um compared to some of the other investments they could be making um and as you say i mean companies like shell very much um looking at the electrification space the hydrogen space um, they've got investments in electricity retail they've got investments in electricity storage in electric car charging points um, in offshore wind farms in hydrogen projects so so yeah i think i mean you could argue that as a percentage of their total spend that's still fairly minuscule amounts but it, I, think, I think it certainly points to kind of the direction of, of travel um because again yeah. and it's it's led by the not just the political direction of travel, but I think the political direction of travel is also pushed by the kind of social direction of travel. And, and I, there's no doubt, certainly in, in this country, and I think you've seen in in other countries as well. I mean, I, obviously, only from the headlines we see, um, people in those countries will be able to comment further on a day-to-day -day basis, but certainly looking from here, um, there's been a very strong change, I would say, in the last year in terms of the how much at a forefront the whole kind of environment climate change um, situation has, has become it's it's certainly more of an election issue here than it's yeah. been previously. I mean, uh, pa Parliament has declared a climate emergency that's still there it's not, it's not gone away this uh, there seems to be a different interpretation of what emergency means on the on the ground for actually doing uh, something rather rather than just uh, talking about it but that is still uh, uh, the case we're in a, st in a state where 
also looking at the project costs now of, of, of the, I mean, we, obviously, if you're looking to start a fracking project, which will be a few years in the very minimum, uh, you're looking at increased insurance costs, you're probably looking at your, your, your pro project value is going to fall down, your IRR is going to be low, you're looking at insurance premiums, looking at uh, uh, compensation mechanisms for the, for the local population, all of this has to be factored in. Um, to projects to make them viable and all those hurdles are going in a bad way for the fracking industry which was still only experimental stage so it seems to have been a, a rather hyped experiment which when 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 put to practice was, was to some extent found wanting yeah would you agree with that um yeah yeah certainly um i think and the other thought that just popped into my head um which we've not mentioned so far but given we're talking about a need for natural gas um the other industry i would have thought which would be cheering cheering along is is an industry which we don't really talk about that much but it's a significant um player um is biogas is uh methane from bio sources be it um, municipal waste be it farm waste be it food waste um various kind of bio biomass waste streams um it's something that's been around for a, a long time it's it's not a complicated technology it's fairly well understood um it happens on a on a small scale um it's almost a kind of local distributed gas production industry i would say rather than um a big centralized production um and a lot of local usage but certainly in other markets like germany there are um there are there's been a bit more scale up in terms of biogas as feeding into the the natural gas network. So it's also yeah, worth pointing out, I think, because we've mentioned hydrogen quite a lot, that the future of, of reusing the <clears throat> the gas infrastructure is not necessarily all hydrogen. There's no reason why um, you couldn't also have, have biomethane um, plugged yeah. into that as well, or some blend of the two. So funny you mentioned that, because uh, rather like yourself, I live, eat and breathe uh, energy. And I was talking to an old SSE colleague the other day. He says, oh, I'm just closing, uh, I'm closing an energy for waste um, uh, kind of deal. And it's just about to go uh, go, go through into uh, all, all the contracts being let with the key suppliers. And to be honest, I'd, I'd forgotten that energy from waste even existed. It's so low key. If, if you read all the all the hype about the industry at the moment, it's very rare uh, that that's something about that industry uh, uh, crops up there it is it still works it still happens uh, it still seems to have some degree of support and and, and on, on the right i think there's one in the south of england there's one in the north of england and one of them funnily enough was in uh, the city of leeds uh, where there's um, i think that's designated as a h2 center with the the, the plans for if, if hydrogen was to take off uh, then Leeds would be very well placed because it was it designated itself as a there's some fancy name as, a, as an H2 city, but there in that same city was uh, I didn't look at the exact tech from energy from waste, but there was projects being closed almost under the radar. And I think I think it goes under the radar a little bit because it, there's not lots of nice kind of flashy new technology that <laughs> that people can talk about. <laughs> I mean the the fundamental kind of anaerobic digestion side of biogas which is the kind of simple stick it in a tank keep the air out and um and let it decompose that's probably slightly underselling it but that's effectively what we're talking about um it's not a there's no there's nothing unknown about that it's not it's not doesn't involve lots of um flashy technology there's there's quite a bit of management to optimize it and keep it um keep it trundling along sustainably um but yeah i, I think you're right it's it's 
the kind of industry that's gradually been been popping up. Um, I think again, it doesn't get a lot of press necessarily because they're kind of small scale. They, they're often local. They're often self-use. So things like um, most sewage works nowadays um, will have biogas production, um, which they can use to power their own facility. Um, so it's not not necessarily feeding into the the national network, but it's certainly providing a distributed source of generation. Um, but as I say, it's not just for power. You could use it for heat as well. You can basically start to replace natural gas. Now, I don't think to do it on the scale at which we use natural gas, I, you you run into obviously limits on how much bio feedstock you've got, how much waste you produce. So it's not. I'm not suggesting it's going to be a wholesale switch from one to the other but certainly as a as a as a player as a, a contribution to um our, our desire you would hope to replace natural gas or certainly to reduce imports of natural gas i think it's a, it's a it's an area worth mentioning and i would have thought they would they would certainly be cheering the fact that um that fracking seems to have hit a demise they should, should yeah. certainly be building on that yeah, there was that um, company i visited uh waste tetricity that took the idea of, of, of plastic waste uh, and then uh, converted that into a very pure form of hydrogen. Now, it wasn't renewable, but it was very, very, very clean. And, uh, I've noticed that they've made some quite significant investment. And I think Peel uh, locally and with them, they've had good traction in Japan as well. And they'd be amongst the, the, the companies that you would expect to benefit uh, and to be cheering along, as you say, uh, as, as fracking has clearly hit so. Uh, problems. There were a couple of uh, rumours floating around in the summer that the fracking industry might be uh, effectively up for sale in the UK, and uh, obviously it's now become uh, crystallised uh, with a few reports in the local press, and now become a political issue as uh, uh, as well. Uh, and that leaves an opportunity for others: hydrogen from various forms, energy from waste. Is there anything else that we, 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 who else is well placed to step into the balancing uh, breach? Yeah, and no, that's a good question because uh, the way to look at this obviously is is what the opportunities for, for everyone else really <laughs> to start looking at the same applications i mean i mean there's various ones in terms of the power generation side if we look at what gas delivers um the the obvious ones are for, for short time frame balancing it, it should boost the case for storage alongside renewables or or not necessarily collated co-located with renewables but a system which has more storage in the system balance out um, wind and solar generation so they should certainly be cheering on as I say um, biogas hydrogen just as direct um, replacements for power generation potentially um, but certainly on the heating side which is where the real scale issue I think exists with gas um, it will be cheered on by people that import gas <laughs> or people that sell gas to us um, which is not necessarily a good thing from a balance of payments point of view but yeah I mean for me the big the industry that will be most um, most happy with that is has to be um, people selling <coughs> looking at clean hydrogen so people selling electrolyzers people looking at setting up projects for clean hydrogen and potentially I guess the carbon capture and storage side um, but I think as a as a country and as a as a policy going forwards, if you're if you're not going to have fracking, because the big thing that fracking did provide was a was a domestic source. Um, if we're not just going to carry on importing, um, it's looking at things that are, are homegrown power sources. And so, 
or, or heat sources and, and effectively homegrown here is going to mean wind as a big resource um, and combining wind then potentially with things that make that wind more more applicable to a variety of different applications so yeah. things that make wind more flexible which is which is battery or other terms of, of storage and things that mean that wind can step over potentially into into the heat market which is basically electrolyzing it into into hydrogen and, and using that <coughs> or or i guess um heat pumps i mean using renewable energy directly to sell more more heat pumps so there's a there's a few yeah. industries that that could could certainly should certainly grow and should see this as an opportunity to really really grow if, if the idea ultimately is to is to phase out gas rather than um, produce more of it ourselves Two, two things, uh, well, a couple of things interesting there. We, we live in the north and there's this dramatically titled Northern Powerhouse. I'm not quite sure what it is. It's an initiative which seems to have political dimension and supply chain uh, backup. But the two things have emerged that I've seen. First of all, I've already mentioned the HiNet proposal, which is uh, to harness a hydrogen economy. Not all of it uh, agree, uh, green. Some of it will be blue or, or more accurately brown hydrogen and combine it with carbon capture and storage in the in the Irish Sea. And that can be possibly tied in with the round four uh, offshore wind initiative. And also some, something similar on Humberside, which just today announced a joined up type of exercise involved. I think it involved biomass and uh, hydrogen and uh, offshore uh, wind. And there was, I think, uh, some of the big old Yorkshire generators were involved with it as well at, uh, at Selby and so forth. Uh, so we've got one giant scheme on, on the east side and one on the west side, uh, Merseyside and, and Ellesmere Port, that area, but also on Humberside as well. So I suppose watch that space because energy will be an important element of uh, of the northern powerhouse. And you'd also be looking perhaps to trial other things in there as well as transport, some of the EVs, hydrogen trains possibly, uh, and that kind of thing. It's, it sounds like a, a fanciful 70s style almost Soviet style uh, strategy, but those things seem to be right back in uh, in fashion again, and at least they're pulling people together and producing some rather glossy brochures and so forth on the back of it, and a lot of lobbying and a, a lot of reports being written. Uh, whether whether that will translate into real projects, we, we shall see. Yeah, and I, th I think that's where I think that's where we are really. With um, if, if from a government point of view, the fracking is off the menu, uh, then it's I think it's pretty important that other things are. Are put on the menu to replace it, um, and so that's going to have to involve uh, more support, um, probably more money. <laughs> um, the various things that we're going fracking's way um, probably need to be redirected onto onto other things because um, at the moment natural gas is a, a crucial part of of our energy mix. Um, so we're either saying, okay, well we're not going to have our own, we're going to import more, or we're going to have to be a bit more serious about um, how quickly we can we can replace it. I guess is my sum up. Yeah, I think we've covered a lot of uh, of ground uh, there, uh, John, and hopefully uh, our listeners have found that of interest. We welcome uh, their comments and their input, and indeed uh, ideas for uh, future uh, podcasts. We, we, we always enjoy uh, commentary from uh, from those who listen to us, and uh, we do know, looking at the analytics, uh, that there's some pretty major people uh, listening to uh, to what we have to say, which is. Uh, which is uh, quite nice. Is there anything else that we uh, should be discussing at this stage, John, that we should have mentioned on the front? We've mentioned politics, we've mentioned the real estate project, and we've mentioned uh, the direction of, uh, of travellers. So it, it seems like a pretty thorough 
assessment of where uh, where fracking is, and it sounds as though it's not <laughs> not necessarily warm to back at the moment. Yeah, no, I think we've I think we've um, covered a lot of ground. We've again, and it's interesting that we've covered a lot of the same, similar themes that we've talked about from a, the renewable power side have, have come up. Um, we've talked about stakeholder engagement, permitting, planning processes. Um, politics, obviously, uh, we've we've delved into trade, um, technology alternatives. So yeah, I mean, it's again, it, it's a good illustration, I think, of an area which, on the one hand, you get lots of <coughs> lots of people kind of don't tread in. They're either in the renewables or in, in the other space. <laughs> they don't. There's lots of argument and little crossover. Um, but I think again, it's important to look at these things from a an energy mix point of view and from a kind of wider perspective point of view so yeah i think we've done that we could, i'm sure it's a subject we can return to in future but i think for today i'm happy to leave it there and so we thank thank you the listeners for for listening to our broadcast and look forward to the uh, to the next episode yeah see you again <laughs>